Please turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and find verses 18 to 21, where we'll focus our attention this morning. And I want to ask you a question. What is the goal of parenting? With all the rugrats running around this church, I feel like we should figure out the answer to that question. What is the goal of parenting? I feel like this is an appropriate question. However, after just spending 17 days in a foreign country with my children, I feel uniquely unqualified to answer this question. Sometimes the goal of parenting seems like just getting them to bed before I'm disqualified for further ministry. Sometimes the goal of my parenting is just getting them to the next snack time before we give one of them away. Sometimes the goal of parenting is survival. But what is the goal of parenting? Sometimes the goal of parenting is to do what you think is right when lots of other parents are doing what you think is wrong. Maybe it's dealing with your child's phone or their peers saying they get to do this and your children saying you're a terrible parent and you saying, yeah, well, sometimes that's my goal to be a terrible parent. Sometimes the goal of parenting is correction. Sometimes the goal of parenting is instruction. Sometimes the goal of parenting is mercy and grace. Sometimes the goal of parenting is justice and punishment. Parenting is as varied as children are and as unique as every situation can be. To nail down a single goal for parenting is difficult. Just read a parenting book. Sometimes each chapter is its new goal. Sometimes they... Just say, follow Jesus. That's your only goal. So what are we doing in parenting? As parents who have been blessed by God and given the responsibility of raising little souls for His glory, we should be careful parents. We should be thought-filled parents. We should be strategic parents, purposeful in our parenting. Parents who aim to glorify God in their parenting by encouraging their children to love and worship and serve King Jesus above anything and everything else. But that is not easy. So how should you do it? Well, you should take the parenting class that Pastor Hadley is going to offer on Wednesday nights in the fall. That's step one. The step two is today and listen to what Paul has to say. So stand with me and we'll see from a familiar passage how we can be a family pursuing the Lord together. We'll read Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you with a, likely a whole bunch of baggage, a whole bunch of struggle, a whole bunch of thoughts from the world that have informed our idea of family and parenting what it means to be a kid. So we need your help. Sort it out in our hearts. Use your word to pierce 
through the sin, pierce through our tradition, pierce through our understanding and find the truth. Expose us to your word and to yourself. Instruct us because we need it. These things we call family are so fragile, but so precious and so worth it. Help us today to understand what you've offered to us in your word. Give us grace to believe. Give us strength to obey. Help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I think it's appropriate and important to remember that this is Paul's family code, meaning this is something of a standard or something of the norm, if you will. I couldn't help it. First service, Norm Fredrickson was in here. I kept thinking norm and not norm, but the norm. But anyway, it's the norm. Not a person, but the normal. This is the normal of what families are are. But the reality that Paul faced was this wasn't his normal. So maybe you think, well, this doesn't fit me anymore. That's okay. It didn't fit Paul either, but this is what he understood as what God had desired in most situations. Maybe you think, well, I haven't even been married, or I haven't been, I've been married, but we haven't been able to have children, or, or the marriage ended, or you, children are gone, or don't, don't view your life wrongly. Don't view your life not matching the norm that Paul gives us as some sort of a punishment from God because it's, it's not. After all, again, this family that Paul described was not his. Maybe you're single and you think, great, another sermon not for me. No, this sermon is for you. If you're single, then you're serving somewhere You're engaged in grace groups. You're active in grace life. You're rubbing shoulders with parents. You're often around their children. You're hopefully helping them. But how? How are you encouraging them? How are you praying for them? How are you encouraging parents? How are you reinforcing the truths that parents teach their children? Maybe you're an older person, a seasoned saint. You think, oh, I raised my family not doing that again. I'm done. This is for somebody else. No. Read Titus chapter 2. This is for you to help me. This is for you to help my wife. This is for you to help families. Our families as GBC are all of our responsibilities. Just because you raised yours doesn't mean you get to check out. Just because you don't have one doesn't mean you have no responsibility. We're one body. This thing we call family is important to God. It should be important to all of us. I love how GBC takes care of families. I love how GBC loves families. I love to see ladies sacrifice normal, easy Sunday school so they can go and serve in the gulag of the nursery occasionally. I love it. I'm amazed by it. I served in there like once a couple of years ago, and I'm still slightly traumatized. (laughs) It's amazing what they do in there. Why? Because they love Grace Bible Church, and they love families. I love how dads do things that are crazy that they normally wouldn't do at vacation Bible school, or they do things on Sunday morning and serve in a Sunday. I love it. Why do they do that? Because they value what God values in families. Keep doing it. I love how single people show up and take care of my family. Why? Because they love what God loves. They love to serve and care for and encourage families, so excel still more. But what are we trying to excel in? Well, I think we see in these verses. And you've noticed we've already gone over husbands and we've already gone over wives. But first, I I want us to just briefly touch on what we've already considered. We won't rehash it. But there's a value that 
we as a church should put on what God values, and that's marriage. A committed family striving together for the glory of God in their family is going to be valuing marriage. We must value our marriages. Parents, one of the best things you can do for your kids is value your marriage. Love your spouse. Care for your spouse. Obey the Lord in how you live as a spouse and do it in front of your kids. Show your kids that you love your spouse. Show, that you're, show your kids that you love the Lord and you serve your spouse. Put your marriage before your kids. Oh, they need to see something come before them. And it doesn't need to be your hobby all the time, but it should often be your spouse. An essential part of being parents is obeying the Lord before your children in marriage. Everyone in the family should value the marriage like God does. God values it supremely. Even the kids, young people, you should be excited for mom and dad when they go out on a date. You should encourage them. Don't throw a pity party. Your parents need time away from you. Trust me. I've heard it. Anyway, all right. Marriage. It's a vital truth. We've already covered it. Go back and listen to the sermons if you forgot. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. First, I'm going to talk to parents about this verse, and then we'll talk to kids. But verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you're a family committed to live together for God and His glory, then parents will be teaching their children. I went to seminary to figure that out. Parents will be teaching their children. We'll attack this from five different angles. First, parents teach in everything. I've got points upon subpoints, so... Get ready. Teach in everything. If the goal of parenting is to glorify God by encouraging children to love and serve and worship King Jesus above everything else, parents must be teaching. What do you need to teach them? How do you need to teach them? Well, first we'll start with life. Paul doesn't tell us. Paul just says everything. Paul didn't explicitly tell parents what to teach their children, but since your children are to obey in everything, we can infer that you're as a parent, supposed to teach in everything. Consider Paul's own example to Timothy. He called Timothy his beloved child in the faith. And how did he teach Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, 11, talking to Timothy, he says, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Paul says, you learned from my what? My pamphlet on ministry. No, you learned from my life. Parents, that's how we teach. Did Paul teach theology? Absolutely. Did Paul teach how to endure difficulty? Absolutely. Did he teach how to endure success or enjoy success? Yes. Endure failure? Yes. All those things he taught, but he didn't teach them just with words. He taught them, taught them with his life. And what was the curriculum? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That was the curriculum. Paul lived life. A parent is a teacher. If if you're a parent who's not teaching, you're teaching something that you probably shouldn't be teaching. A parent is always teaching, and that may terrify you. It terrifies me. But get this, even in your failure, even in your struggle, even in your sin, you can teach your children beautiful things about God. Use your life, your struggles at work, your joys with family, all of it to teach your children about who God is and how to love Christ and everything. So life, 
That's how you teach everything. The second way we teach everything is with our words. Go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, a beautiful passage that God gave Israel to chart the course of her future, to help her understand who he was and who she must be. God's great commandment to his nation Israel uh, before she inherited the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 6, familiar passage. You've heard it before. I'll begin in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There is God's command and his expectation. What you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. Kind of. We love him with all of us. We keep his commands heavy on our hearts. Prevalent in our lives. But how do we do that? Continue. Verse 7. You shall teach them the words, the commands, the principles of godly living. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What's that mean? That means all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your houses and on your gates. Meaning what? That God's people never escape the need for God's truth always everywhere in their life. And whose responsibility is it to do that for kids? Parents, this is our privilege as Christian parents to teach God's little souls to love him and his words. Our example in life, absolutely. Our words in life, absolutely. Asaph wrote Psalm, excuse me, Psalm 78. There's a lot in Psalm 78 on how to pass on to the next generation what God has done. And he says in Psalm 78, verse 4, we will not hide them, speaking of the works of God, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Parents, you can't simply come to church, have personal devotions, drop your kids off at VBS and think they're going to grow up and know Jesus. You talk to them. You communicate truth to them. You live before them. You teach them what God has done, who he is, what he expects of them, and what they can do to come to him. We must teach them with our words. Moms and dads, Christian parents, teach their children about God. When? Yes. Always. Maybe say, I don't really feel equipped. Okay, well then get equipped. Well, I don't know how. Look. You already went to Sunday school or you already went to Grace Life. Just reteach that lesson to your kids. You say, well, it's not going to be that great. So I make a living off of not teaching that great. <laughs> you can do it for devotions. If you're in a man group, reteach what you're teaching. If you're in every woman's grace, reteach what you're learning. Talk to your kids about these truths that God has given us. Help them. If you don't, who will? Just our Sunday school teacher? I mean, that's great, but it's not enough. It's your responsibility. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just take what God has given you in another avenue and give it to them. Help them. We teach with our life. We teach with our words. And third, we teach with our actions. This will be redundant, but Scripture is redundant in reminding us that we teach with our example. We teach with our actions. We teach with our life, not merely our words. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul gives every parent the most essential parenting goal, tip, and tool. You ready? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How you live for Christ is how your kids are learning to live for Christ. How are we doing? Are you satisfied? 
well, I hope we never are satisfied, but we're always striving for more of Christ in our lives, a more perfect reflection of Christ in our life, a more perfect passion of Christ in our life. We teach with our life, we teach with our words, we teach with our actions, and we teach forth with our affections. Affections. I have three boys. I love it. And I don't know how it happened, but if anything has an engine especially if it's fast or loud or a combination, we all love it. And, I mean, since Clive could talk, he could point out the difference between a challenger and a charger. And since Burton, and since he could point, he knew the difference between a Camaro and a Corvette. And Hudson, like, he can hear a motorcycle in Rice County. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> how, how, do you think they, how do you think that happened? Do you think it was me sitting down with them and laboriously teaching them the beauty of the combustion engine? Oh, it's, this is what happens. This is what happens if you have a two-stroke or a four-stroke. This is where the muffler, this is why you hear this. No. They got their passion from my passion. But how foolish would I be as a parent if all my kids got was a passion for the combustion engine? Parents, what are our passions teaching our children to long for and to love? Is it business? Is it fashion? Is it Facebook? What do they see us love? Guess what? They may not fall right into it, but they're learning it. They're getting it. They're smarter than they let you know. They are little sandbaggers. They're picking up what you're putting down even when you don't think they, they are. What are your kids falling in love with because of you? Are they falling in love with Jesus because of you or something else? Parents, show your kids your affection for Christ. And here's something for you to think about. You say, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have an affection for Christ. I know it's the right thing to do. Brother, sister, how could you know Christ and not love him? If you don't love him, it's because you don't know him. And if you don't know him, turn from who you are and trust in who he is. Realize that you're dead, spiritually speaking. That's why you don't have an affection for him. You need what he's done. He's taken your sin on the cross and died for it. And how could you not love him for that? And then God loved him enough to raise him from the dead and give you that promise that one day you'll be with him. And, and you're more excited about golf? Or you're more excited about what? Your kids are learning. What kind of Jesus are they learning from you? Your kids aren't fooled. They can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. I doubt you're a wolf. But are you a goat just hanging out with the sheep? I may not know. Maybe your spouse doesn't know. But kids are smart. They'll know. If you don't love Jesus, your kids likely won't learn to love Jesus from you. Is he our obvious delight? Is he who we long for? Is he what really puts the spice in our chili? Or is it something earthly? Is this something temporal? Is this something that's going to be destroyed by, rust, by, by moth and rust and flame? Do our children see from us a Jesus that keeps us from hell but steals our earthly joy? Or do they see a Jesus that is our everything, 
in our only all passion, that all we want is more of him. When they see that, Jesus, what do you think they'll want? Parents, older people, single people. If you're not a kid, you're teaching kids why they're supposed to be here. Why are you here? If it's because you love Jesus, you're teaching kids to love Jesus. If it's not because you love Jesus, you're teaching kids to just kind of hang out. Give an hour or two on Sunday to this. We teach with our life, teach with our words, our actions, our affections, and we teach with the gospel. If the goal of parenting is glorifying God by encouraging our children to love and worship and serve King Jesus above all things, they have to know the gospel. In everything from discipline to birthday parties, the gospel should be the hub of the wheel on which all these other things revolve around. They, they cannot truly have joy as a child outside of the good news of the gospel. They cannot truly be obedient as a child outside of the good news of the gospel. They cannot truly love God outside of the good news of the gospel. The gospel should be taught as it's woven through the fabric of every activity in our everyday life. Don't think of the gospel as the altar call to family devotions. That's a failure. The gospel is always everywhere and everything. Helping your kids understand in every way the nuances of how the gospel changes how we think and live and pursue things. Your kids are fighting. What do they need? Sometimes they need a, you know what? And sometimes they need to be sat down and they need to be reminded, look, this is why you're fighting. Because your sinful, selfish hearts are at war with God and you can't get along with your sister because she's got your dolly. How foolish is that? But it's okay. Because even in our foolishness and our hatred for one another, God loves us and has sent us on to die for us. And you can have life. Right now you need this discipline, but later you can have life. You can turn to him. You can trust in him and he'll forgive you. Because I forgive you. You can help your kids with the gospel. The gospel is the frame for every situation of parenting, always, all the time, every day, not once in a while, not at VBS, not at summer camp. The gospel is everything that we're teaching. So parents, teach in everything, life, words, actions, affection, all with the grace of the gospel. And second, parents teach their children, and they aim for obedience. They aim for obedience. Colossians 3.21, children, obey your parents in everything, meaning Parents, our aim is for our children to obey. Not just teach them and then hope for the best, but teach them to obey. Why? Because obedience is best, and obedience teaches what is best. It's both and, not either or. And what is best is not just doing something that God said is best, but loving God and doing what he said is best. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How do we gauge the obedience of our children? Because they did what they were supposed to do or because they loved God? Parents, teach your children to love Jesus. It involves aiming for obedience. That's our aim is obedience, obedience from the heart. Obedience is blessing in God's economy. Obedience to God always is what's best for us. And in obedience, children are blessed through their actions, and they're blessed as they learn the value of authority. Obedience says this, I will do what God says because God is right. Obedience says, I will do what God says because God knows what's best. I will do what God says 
because he's an authority and not me. I was thinking about my life, foolish struggles I'm having. And if I would believe those three things, my life would be better. Simple truths our kids need to learn. I will do what God says because God is right. I will do what God says because God knows best. I will do what God says because he's an authority and not me. Parents, aim for obedience in your children. Not conformity to church culture. Not being the best behaved in the neighborhood. But true obedience. Obedience from the heart to God. Remember what God called Israel to obey above all things. What was it? Love him. We always look at all the laws. This, this, don't do this. Cut your hair, don't cut your hair, don't eat shellfish. God says, look, love me. That's our aim as parents. When we tell our kids to obey, the ultimate obedience is to produce a love for God. The cleanliness of your child's room, listen to this kid, it is not eternal. It's not. But your child learning to surrender their will to their parents' will is obedience. It's a training ground for them to surrender their will to the Father's will. That is salvation. So do your best as a parent to make things eternally viable. Teach them the eternal value of obedience. Don't just tell your teenager to mow the lawn. Show them this is their responsibility to help their family, to honor you as their father and their mother. This is their opportunity to make much of God by being obedient to their parents, the authority figure in their life. Point and aim for obedience that's destined for eternal significance. Get to the greatest commandments. Show them how this is loving God. Show them how this is loving their neighbor. Show them how this is what Jesus says matters most. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 31, Jesus is telling all all these people on the temple mount uh, the summary of God's law. He breaks it down like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says there's no other commandment greater than these. As parents, we should be majoring on the majors and aiming for obedience in all things, pointing our kids towards obedience, helping them pursue obedience. But notice, aiming at obedience is not the same thing as controlling your kids. Obedience and control are not the same thing. You can control a kid this high pretty easy. You can't control one after that. And you can't control their heart even when they're this big. Control and obedience are different. We need to understand our, child, our children are going to fail. All we need to do is flip back in our biography a few pages and realize that we fail a lot. Children are going to fail. We are creatures that fail. I am shocked at how shocked I am when my kids fail. Like, how can I be that surprised? Like, I do the same thing. And I'm like, oh, shocked. I can't believe you would disobey me. when I disobey God all the time. We aim for obedience. Don't just strive for control. Are there boundaries? Are there things that are not acceptable? Absolutely. And in those areas, you have to control for the safety of your child, the safety of their heart, the safety of their life. You're, control your children when they seek to run into the street. Control them. Don't say, no, I'm aiming for obedience. I think you need to choose to follow God and not the will of your heart. Watch the truck. No, don't do that. 
exercise authority and demand immediately what is best and discipline until that control turns into obedience. Control your child when they choose to pursue evil and, and it's going to change their life for the rest of their life and they're 10. Don't let them do things just because they want to do things. You have to control occasionally, but you have to be always aiming for obedience. In general, our aim is for obedience, understanding that if we're aiming for obedience, there's going to be lots of opportunities to see, find, and work on what? Disobedience. In fact, give your children opportunities to obey. Don't fall apart or be shocked when they disobey. Instead, use those as divine appointments for gospel opportunity. See these times as opportunities to reinforce the gospel that you've been teaching them, the truths that they're constantly needing to learn, that I constantly need to have refreshed and rehashed in my heart. Those failures, those sins are opportunities to do just that. Don't, don't fear disobedience. Fearing disobedience in children it is foolish. They're going to disobey. No matter how cute your little angel is now, it'll grow up and you know what? It'll, yeah, it'll be... Not always angelic, I'll say that. At least I've heard from other people. If you're controlling in your parenting, looking for perfection, your, your children are never going to feel the joy of growth. They'll never feel the grace of encouragement. They'll never enjoy the security of progress. They'll never know what it means to, to be moving in the direction that God is drawing them to, to help them aim for obedience yeah, you sinned, and this is what your sin was, and this is where your heart was, and this is why you did it. What do you think? Yeah, pursue the Lord. Do this. Let's pursue the Lord together. Aim for obedience. True obedience comes from the heart, and what can you do with the heart? Great answer. You can't change the heart. You can only do what you're called to do in parenting and teaching and modeling and instructing and disciplining. Turn to Psalm chapter, or the 53rd Psalm. I don't know what we're going to write on the on the walls of the nursery, but I do know we won't write this psalm on the walls of the nursery. Psalm chapter 53, the first three verses describes our kids like this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is no, none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Why do I tell you this? Because we need to inform the morality of our children. Our children don't show up to us with blank slates. There's plenty of writing on it, and it all needs erased. These verses are difficult if your baby is still little and cute. But the truth is, as soon as they can act on their own, for their own will, what do they do? Exactly that. That's what they do. In some ways... Parenting is the legally blind leading the actually blind. That's just what it is. Like we can barely see our way to God and we're supposed to help them do it. Like it's a struggle. But we have to inform the morality of our little children. You're fighting against their nature and you're fighting against your own flesh. You have to depend on the Lord to help you to lead them to him. So you must not only impart to them right and wrong. That's teaching. That's good, but that's not enough. You, you need to respond, help, help them to understand how to respond, how to reflect on life, how to, how to feel about what they see in the world. You want a full orb morality informed in the little soul that God has entrusted to you. When your children see things like a drag queen promoting gender confusion or sexual immorality, 
they're going to say, well, that's not right. That's, oh, that's good, but that's not enough. It's your job as a parent to inform them and model for them a moral response to these things, to all the mess that your children encounter. Obviously, age appropriate, absolutely, but, but, but strive for a whole understanding by your kids about all of life. Because if you don't teach them how to respond to these things, if you don't teach them how to think about these things, if you don't teach them how to take the word of God and apply it to the situations that they encounter and then learn how to understand, feel, and act because of it, what, who will teach them? People you don't want teaching them. They'll go to college and learn it. Look out. Take your children to a passage like 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Take a whole mealtime and just camp out there. Consider what these words are, how they affect, how we view other people. What kind of categories are they? What do they look like? What do they talk like? What do they sound like? What do they, what do they want? Talk about how it's not just what we believe versus what they believe. That just becomes a popularity contest. Talk about how this is what God has said, and this is what they said. This is what God has done, and this is what they cannot do. Talk about the souls of these confused and hate-filled people that seek to destroy the beauty of what God has created in male and female and inform your child's morality. Help them understand these things. So much parenting and is this like hermeneutic of humility nowadays well we just want them to, to decide where they want to go how they want to believe that's that's stupid the bible will call it stupid letting a fool determine a fool's way no do you love your kids inform their morality give them the truth of god to help them understand where they're at in this life where they're at in this world teach a morality that's infused like god's Character is infused with compassion. Remind your children that while justice is coming, it's God's justice and not ours. Don't let your kids confuse the mission field for enemies. Should they be careful and safe and be protected around the ideologies of Satan? Well, yeah, absolutely. That's part of your job as a parent. But someday, they'll be on the front lines of Christ's kingdom. Will they have compassion? Will they have courage? Will they have those things mixed together? Or will they be afraid and, un and not understand and run away? It's your job to teach them. If your kids have no compassion, if your kids are just judgmental, if your kids despise those who are not like them, who has taught them these things? Well, their little hearts, but also their parents. It's our job to inform their whole morality. Fourth in your teaching, attack the heart. Attack the heart. Actions are important. The heart is more important. Use the word of God, not as a rote memory system, but a tool to get to the heart. Remember, God says of his word, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and joints of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why do your kids need to memorize the Bible? So they can like, impress their Wednesday night kids club teacher? So they can get a snack? No. So that God will pierce their heart. That God will take this truth and he will show them who they are. Take this truth and show them who he is. Take this truth and save them through it. That's why your kids need to learn and memorize the Bible. Don't confuse your kids. Dig into the intentions of their heart. It's not what did you do wrong. That's maybe one of the questions, but that's not the most important question. What are you believing about God that he hasn't said? That's a better question. 
Do you believe that God has forsaken you because he said he hasn't? Do you think God's a liar? Get to the intentions of their heart. Not just why are you doing this, but help them draw it out. Help them understand. Use the word of God to pierce into their hearts to teach them what they're believing about God that's not true, what they're living about God or living that's false. So fifth, as a parent who's teaching their children, you need to impart the right motives. The right motive for your child's obedience is not to impress other parents. The right motive for your child's obedience is not to impress other kids with their righteousness. Train your kids to obey. But why? We'll look at the end of Colossians 3.20. For this pleases the Lord. As Christian parents, our children learn why they should obey when they hear from us why they should obey. I'm so bad at this. Sometimes it's like, kids, just... I ain't got time for this. I said it, you need to do it. And you know, every once in a while, okay, whatever, you get a free pass. But if that's the normal pattern of your parenting, you're creating Pharisees. Why do you need to do this? I don't really matter. But God does, and he says you need to do this. Get yourself out of the way. Put the kids before God. This is what God has said. This is what you must do, and this is why, to please him. If the goal of our parenting is to glorify God by encouraging our children to love and worship and serve King Jesus above everything else, we have to model that's why we live and why we do and why we obey to make much of him, to please him, because we want to please the one who died for us. All right, kiddos, you've been patient long enough. If you're listening, this is for you. Read verse 20 with me again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, Paul's talking to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this pleases the Lord. Obey your parents in everything. So do you hear your responsibility to help your family live for God together? Your responsibility is to obey the Lord in everything. Obey your parents in everything. But not because your parents said so. Not because I said so. But because God said so. Paul says, obey your parents in everything. Your parents are an earthly representation of a heavenly authority in your life that God has given you for your good. God loves you and crafted you perfectly and uniquely in your mother's womb. And then he gave you to parents, whether they're biological parents or adopted parents, it doesn't matter. God gave you to parents to speak in your life for him, by him and his word. He gives you his word. He gives you a parent. And he says that you obey me and blessing comes from obedience. Your parents are under his authority to help you understand this blessing, to help you understand his requirements and to help you understand what obedience looks like. Your parents are teaching you from what they know of God's word. And they're also teaching you through years of their own personal success and failure. I don't know about you guys, but I love learning from other people's failure. It's so much easier than learning from my own. But I'm pretty good at learning from my own failure. Well, I should say, I'm pretty good at failing and trying to learn from my own failure. But here's the amazing thing. Look at the end of verse 20, kids. When you obey your parents, the God of the universe is pleased. Obey your parents second for the Lord. 
God sees in his omniscience all that you do. He reads your heart and is satisfied. He's pleased and made joyful at a child's obedience. Young people, listen. The God who laid the foundation of the earth is pleased when you take your plate to the sink after supper in obedience to your parents. The God who shut the sea with doors and said, thus far you shall go and no farther, and here the proud waves will stop. That God is pleased when you welcome the new kids to Sunday school class because your parents told you to do that. The God who stores snow and hail and reserves them for the time of trouble and war, that God is pleased when you hear the instruction of your parents and you obey the first time, right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Do you know why he's pleased? Because in obeying your parents, you're obeying him. And God loves you. And God has given you these commands because it's what's best for you. Young people, little people, you have every opportunity every day to, to glorify the eternal God of the universe. You can please him. You don't have to fix the world. You don't have to fix your school. You don't have to solve the culture. You just obey mom and dad, and the Lord is pleased. What kind of God would, would say, just, just follow the directions of your parents, and I'm pleased. I think a loving and kind God, because he knows you have to follow the directions of your parents. I think sometimes young people think they have to grow up and they have to be a missionary to the Congo or have to plant a church in Beijing or they, they have to, you know, cure cancer or start an orphanage to please God. You don't. Just listen to your parents. Obey your parents. And God is pleased. You don't have to get older and bigger to please Almighty God. Just obey mom and dad. Little person, God doesn't need something big someday. God deserves all the little things today. And when that's how your life is, you'll grow into the person that God uses for other things later. So practice now. Obey your parents and everything. Please the Lord. The fourth commitment we see in this passage of a family living for God together is really a product of the Father's will. A family commitment to living for God together when possible has a father that takes ownership. If the goal of parenting is to glorify God by encouraging our children to love and worship and serve King Jesus above everything else, then the father, as the leader of the family, is taking ownership to ensure this happens. Look at Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So in Paul's day, the Hellenistic culture, the Roman culture, the Jewish culture, fathers were the authority figure in the home. So Paul doesn't argue who's the authority figure in the home. He assumes that fathers are the authority figure in the home. But today, if Paul wrote Grace Bible Church a letter in our culture, he would probably argue that fathers are to be the authority figure in the home. Fathers, you're tasked by God to lead your family. Not merely make enough money for your wife and kids to have what she needs to raise them. Not merely to give your kids a home to live in or food to eat, but you're called as a, a father to teach your children, to instruct your children, to lead your children, to love your children, and to discipline your children. Yet in this verse, Paul is drawing particular attention to one thing fathers must not do and cannot do. Do not provoke your children. Maybe your passage says don't exasperate them. It's a fine idea, but there's the idea of prodding here. There's an active 
spoke. Poke. A little poke against your kids. Paul is saying, as you discipline, do you see a discipline is assumed here? Paul doesn't say, fathers, discipline your children. Again, if he was writing the Grace Bible Church, he might. He's assuming parents' discipline. He's assuming fathers' discipline. But he's saying, as you discipline, make sure you're not provoking your children. So fathers, the first thing I want you to see is fathers must discipline to please God. Assumed in here is that fathers discipline. When we as God's authority in the home discipline, we should be seeking to please God with our discipline. Not hurt our kids, not wound them, not anything, but please the Lord out of obedience to him to help them know him. We're not following a parenting model. We're pleasing the God of the universe. We're not seeking to impress other parents with how good our kids behave. We're seeking to please God. Dads, if you're not active in the discipline of your children, you're being disobedient to the Lord and you're unloving to your child. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 reminds us, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Love and discipline and diligence, they go together for the father pursuing the Lord. Dads, love your kids. Discipline them in obedience to the Lord. Sometimes discipline is allowing... Well, sometimes discipline is the rod. Sometimes discipline is spanking for younger kids. But sometimes discipline is taking away things, or sometimes discipline is allowing natural consequences to hurt. Oh, my goodness. I've got so many stories about this. I tried to narrow it down to the best one, so this is it. That's all you get. I think I just turned 16. My mom got a new to her car. Man, I was excited about it because I had one of these things. Ready for it? A CD changer. <laughs> that cool or what? I was like, man, I got to show my friend. So she lets me borrow it. I go to the metropolis of Emporia. We're cruising around. I'm going faster than I should. Pull a Dukes of Hazard off a railroad track. Land on the other side. I was changing CDs, like third day. I mean, like how boring Christian can you get? Anyway, I hit the curb, bent the A-arm under in front of that little Chrysler. I was dead meat. There was no buffing that out. I was done. And I remember thinking, my parents, they're going to chain me to the farm. <laughs> I had bucket calves, and we used to tie a rope on our bucket cat or my bucket calves to a tire and let them drag it around the yard. I thought that's what they were going to do to me. Like, I thought I was done. It's <laughs> not what they did. They gave me something. You know what they gave me? A loan <laughs> to the bank. 120 bucks or something like that a month for the next two years. That was a valuable lesson. Being stupid costs a lot of money. <laughs> Doesn't go away. Quickly. I learned. Sometimes fathers have to be creative in how they discipline. Sometimes fathers have to be careful to find what really matters in their kid's life to teach their children. Discipline your older children. It's going to be different from a five-year-old, but you have to discipline your kids. Disobedience needs to be connected in their mind to pain and judgment. Not always physical pain, but always difficulty and judgment, the judgment of God. They need to know that disobedience does not bring blessing. If they're too old for spanking, find something that hurts their soul and go after it like a phone. Like, are you kidding me? Get this. Your kids will live if you take their phone away. 
Do we need a sermon on that? Like, they'll, be, they'll survive. I know my kids aren't old enough, and I can't talk from experience, but you can do it. Just take it away. You used to be able to take the battery out. <laughs> Apple got smart. They're like, we'll put the battery in it. But anyway, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 23, verse 13 and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. That's spanking. You're not out to hurt them. You're out to bring pain. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. It's an axiom. No discipline, kid's in trouble. Discipline, kid has hope. Since parents represent God to children, especially before they can know God by grace through faith and the gospel, we show them both justice and mercy. As parents and fathers especially, we teach them about God and his standards and his discipline and the beauty of his restoration and what happens when we fail and what happens when we sin. Discipline, consistent discipline by the father is necessary for our children and pleasing to God. But a committed dad needs to remember being a kid isn't easy. Come on, dads. Sometimes I look at my kids like, get in the game, let's go. And I forget, like, I was just like them. I was a problem. I remember more than once my mom meet me, meet, met me in the principal's office. Like, I was like, how did this even happen? It's not fair. I should get there at least before her, but anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter how fragile your screaming toddler is or how angry your silent senior is. They, their hearts are insecure. Their hearts are needy, their hearts are scared, their hearts are weak, their hearts are lonely. Take that into consideration when you parent them. Be careful with their hearts as a dad. Don't crush them. You need to be a bridge to Christ, not a barrier between them and Christ. Model a loving and tender authority figure that always loves to bring them to the beauty of what Christ has done for them. Fourth. Be gracious with them like God is gracious with you. Yes, discipline your kids. Absolutely discipline them to please the Lord. But not every disobedience deserves every severest form of punishment. Some should be considered. The child should be reproved and the offense passed over. You say, well, I don't know. It doesn't teach that in my... Okay, well, what's God do for you? Does God always give you discipline for every sin? No, he doesn't. Consistent loving discipline and gracious loving care is a mixture that our heavenly father provides for us that we as earthly fathers need to strive to provide for our children. There's no precise manual for this mixture. Children should learn from our parenting that God is a consuming fire that you cannot trifle with, and he demands your exact discipline. Your kids should learn that from you, Hebrews 12, 7 and verse 29. But they should also learn that God is slow to anger and gracious and merciful and full of loving kindness from you as their dad. 1 Timothy 1, 16. If your parenting is only discipline, you're not representing God well. If your parenting is only grace, you're not representing God well. They have to be both. Fifth, look at Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
Why don't we provoke, why don't we poke, poke, poke our kids? Because we don't want them to be discouraged. Committed fathers take responsibility for their child's hope. You must see as your responsibility giving them every reason. As a child, they have every reason to hope. Hope in what? The gospel. They don't hope in your parenting skills. They don't need the hope in their ability, but they need hope in what God promises. A child without hope is a child that is parented without the gospel. The gospel, the good news provides hope. If your child has no hope, your child's not hearing the gospel enough. So well, I told him a couple of years ago, come on, friend. You forgot what I preached on last week. I wasn't here last week, somewhere else, but you get the point. Our responsibility is to give them every reason to hope that they can be right with God. The gospel says, yeah, you're a problem, kid. Yeah, you're a viper in diapers. Yeah, you're a pagan in PJs. I get it. But God loved you so much that even in your sin, he looked at you with love created in his image, and he said, I love that one, and I'm sending my son to take that one for myself. God looked at you like that little Johnny and he said, I love you and I want you. And this is what you need to do. Not trust in me, not follow just what I say, but trust in him. Because he says, even in your failure, I love you. Even in your sin, I'm for you. And I'm coming after you because I sent my son at just the right time to save you to live the life you couldn't, to die the death you deserve so that you could be mine. And yeah, you're a little sinner, but God offers grace and hope that if you repent and believe, he'll save you forever unto eternity. Now, go back outside and play without hitting your sister. I'll see you at lunch. That's parenting. Every day, all the time, teaching our kids, reminding our kids, encouraging our kids, but keeping them hope-filled because of the beauty of what God offers to us through the gospel as we seek to glorify God by encouraging our children to love and worship and serve King Jesus above everything else. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for what you offer to us in the gospel, the things that we could never achieve you have. Our heart against you, you loved us. You changed our heart. May we model that hope for our children, and may you save them. They need it. Help them. In Jesus' name.